Welcome to the Live Big Podcast featuring Dr. Derek Greer, where we teach principles from God's Word that will empower you to live big. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com. Here's Dr. Greer. Still small voice of God. Uh, there was first a earthquake, then there was some wind, and there was some lightning, but then God spoke in that still small voice at, at Horeb. And then God gave Elijah uh, his final three instructions. So we're going to pick up with the instructions that God gave to Elijah. Verse 15, then the Lord said to him, after having some good company, getting some rest, remember that? And eating some good food, God told Elijah, get back to work. After you mess up, you got to get back in the game. And this was the case with Elijah. People may see my struggle, but may they never see me quit. And Elijah didn't give up, and neither should you. Again, three final instructions. The first instruction, Elijah, I need you to go on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, anoint Haziel as king over Syria. So we see here that the prophet not only influenced the people of God, he also influenced the neighboring nations. And we want to be people that not only impact the church, but also our world. And this is what we see him doing. Number two, also, Elijah, you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. So there were some kingdom matters that he also needed to tend to. Can't get so busy with the world, you forget about the church. Number three. And I also need you to anoint Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel Meholah. Anoint him as prophet in your place. The final measure of a leader is not what he or she achieves, but what he or she transfers. And we see that Elijah could not finish well until he transferred properly. If the last generation doesn't pass on to the new generation, all it learned, the new generation has to start all over from scratch. You know, it took me 30 years to, to learn some of the things I know. The last thing I want to happen is for someone else to have to spend 30 years before they can build and go further than I went. Our goal, my goal as a church leader, as a father and family and in life is for people that are in my circle to be able to live off my shoulders. In other words, you know, I, I, I did this, but you, you take it up here. And that's a father's desire. That's what my boys came in here. I want them to go here. But you see, my daddy started here. I came up here. Now my, I want my boys to go up there. And this is the pattern. And we don't want any generation to have to start over from Scratch, verse 17. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Haziel, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, your successor, Elisha, the what? Prophet will kill. I like this. Elijah and Elisha, though, I shouldn't have said I like this. I'm sorry. But if I'm honest with you, I like this. You see, these two men operated under a different covenant. But if I'm honest with you, every now and then I wish that we can have just a little bit of that back. <laughs> Elisha killed 
those who escaped Jehu. Imagine if God allowed his leaders to lead the new covenant locked and loaded. Imagine if I showed up with your front door, the standard sign of the cross, but when I got in the here, where you been? Are you all in? Just every now and then, I just wish, just wish, just wish we could go back. Yet, I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees who have not bowed to Baal, in every mouth that has not kissed him. There will be at times in your journey that you feel like you're all by yourself, that you're the only one really trying to walk this walk. But, you know, there were years ago that people told me, said, you know, Derek, you, you, will, you cannot be true to the scriptures and grow a church at the same time. You can't do that in this day and age. But guess what? You're here. Now, God said in Elijah's time, he was reserved 7,000, but we're nearly 5,000 in this place. You and I were born for a time such as this. So, Elijah had a tremendous time on Mount Horeb. The Bible says he departed from there. I, I say this often, but you can't build a house where God wants you to build a tent. How far you go is often dependent on how much you're willing to leave behind. We are not, I know, I know culture and society tells you this, but we are not just products of our environment. We are products of our choices. Yeah. And Elijah made a choice. I'm moving on with God. As good as this place is, there is a future. I have some things to complete, and I'm going to leave the comfort of this moment and step into my next. You know, if, if I could do a cookbook and give you, you know, ingredients for, for important things in life, you know, just like a cake said, so, you know, add two eggs and some, some water, flour, milk, whatever it is, stir and, and, and put in the oven. I think the, the two of the key ingredients of moving on with God is, number one, you have to have a, a cup of desire. You got to want it. You got to want it. You got to want it. But the second cup is a cup of backbone. The prophet had to make a decision, stand behind that decision, and get to doing what God called him to do. And it takes backbone to get that done. And he said he left this place even though finding Elisha would mean the end of his ministry, the Bible says he found Elisha, the son of Shaphat. Somebody said we have three choices in life. We can watch things happen, make things happen, or wonder what the heck happened. <laughs> Elijah decided I'm going to make things happen with the rest of my life. Y'all didn't catch that. Because that, that was an amen point. He wasn't as young as he used to be. God told him, you have three things left, and I'm taking you home. But, but that didn't weaken Elijah's resolve. He made sure the rest of his life had purpose, and he got busy with all the requirements God gave him. The Bible says, he found Elisha, the son of Shapheth, 
you seldom strike oil without digging around a little bit first. Elijah's replacement didn't just drop out of the sky. He had to go out and find him. And, and I know that some people in this room might think I'm holier than I am, but let me just remove any illusion. My wife is not the first woman I've ever dated. And the reality is, I figured I'd get a little something from that. Okay, I'm going I'm to I'm tune y'all out, and I'm just going to go. I'm going to go with my word. See, I'm in the room with you, but I'm going to go in by myself right now, and I'm just, I'm just going to preach. But the point is, I had to accept applications and do a few interviews over dinner before I found what I needed. Yeah. Adam was the only—Adam had an incredible anointing, incredible anointing. He was the only man God put to sleep and then woke him out and his woman was right there. <laughs> but I want to confess to you, I don't have that anointing. So I had to go through a process and rule some things out before I could rule that woman in the way she needed to be. All right. He found Elisha, the son of... Shaphath, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him. Having a yoke of oxen was a big deal in the ancient world. Most poor people didn't have it. There, there really wasn't much of a middle class, if you will. You were either very wealthy or very, very poor. So having a yoke of oxen was like having a John Deere tractor, which is top of the line uh, in our day. It was a sign of wealth. But then the Bible goes on to say he had 12 yokes of oxen. Meaning, you know, if you have to use 12 yokes of oxen to plow your land, you must have a whole lot of land. So here's a man with, with a whole lot of means. Our introduction to him is letting us know he is wealthy. He's a person of substance, and, and he has 12 yokes of oxen. And then watch what it says. And he was with the what? 12. Again, obviously, he's from a, a family of means, but he also has a work ethic. And just because you're rich doesn't mean you have to be soft and let that go right over your head. This man was a worker. You know, I did a little research before I, I, I prepared this, this message, and, and I looked into the book of, of Lazy. And there's actually a book of Lazy. You said the, next, the person next to you wrote it? Is that what you said? Oh, is that, okay. I'm preaching to myself right now. Okay, okay. But, but Lazy Rule number 53. If it's not within five feet of me, it must not be necessary. And many people have this mentality. If it's not easy, it must not be mine. I mean, unless it's handed to me and someone gets it to me, you know what? I must not really, really need it. It'll get worse before it gets better. Stay with me. But I'm doing my job. I am. I am. I love you guys. I really do. You know, often you can't grow without a little bit of pain. When I was a teenager, my knees hurt so bad. They called it Oscar's Slaughters. And, and what it was is, 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 you know, as I was growing, my knees weren't adjusting to my height properly. And sometimes growth doesn't happen neatly. And sometimes hurting is really a sign of growth. So... If you have to say, ouch, a little, don't forget the amen because it's really good for you 
And it's a sign that, that, that something good might be happening, okay? So just get past this Sunday and get back next week, and I'll, I'll do better. But get through this Sunday. Then Elijah passed by him. Elijah and Elisha, two, two different men, the name's very close, very easy to get them mixed up. But these men, both of them, were really a study in, in contrast. Elijah, with the J, was wild, independent, uh, a, a little bit ornery, uh, a little bit grumpy at times. He can even sometimes seem downright mean. And also, you know, when we look into Elijah's background, he came out of nowhere. We don't really know if he was half Gentile, Gentile and Jew. He's from an area that was Gentile, and he just kind of appears. We don't know his pedigree, none of that. He just shows up as this gruff guy. But Elisha that we're introduced to right here, on the other hand, he's a man of means. He's a man of culture and distinction. He's a wealthy, he's from a wealthy family. He knows where he comes from. And, and, and again, it's a very, very, very different types of people. But here's a very important point. You will be amazed how much we can learn from people who are different than us. Yeah. This is the value of church. Now, some people go to a church where everybody's just like them. I don't want to go to a church where everyone's just like me. But because if everyone's just like me, everyone's just going to know what I know. My presence is going to be redundant and repetitive. I want to go to a place where people have different perspectives, different mindsets that come together. The chief's going, we're all looking at things differently. We come together, we become stronger. So God here united Elijah and Elisha. And again, these guys, you know, had every excuse really not to get along and not to work with each other. It says, then Elijah passed him by. Again, Elijah's a rough guy. He didn't even stop to chat. He didn't stop to say hello. He didn't introduce himself. He just passed by and threw something at Elisha. I, see, I, I'm, I'm a little concerned that I don't say things right today. But I get worried about this generation. We're so soft. So soft. If everything's not laid out just right, we have our thumb in our mouth and I wonder, do we have what it takes to deal? I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. But Elijah had to be rough with Elisha. Why? Because ministry was going to be rough. Because life was going to be rough. And he wanted to determine from the outset whether Elisha had the stuff necessary to get through times such as that. Okay. Here's the problem. I'm not talking about you. Okay. Just want to make that clear. Just talking about some of you. And I really intended to be nice, but I decided to be helpful instead. But when I was young, a lot of y'all couldn't help me. A lot of people came up to me with these Christian cliches. Their life's so wonderful. And they're just so wonderful. I couldn't relate to them. If you're going to reach tough people in tough times, you got to have been able to go through some things. 
to know if Jesus can help a liar. I need to know if Jesus can help a fornicator. I, can, I need to know if Jesus can help a hater. I, somebody with an attitude. Somebody with a head problem. Somebody that was proud. Somebody that was arrogant. Somebody that... I need a G with a little bit of something to him. And many of us, we can't reach nobody. Because we got this polite little sweet Jesus. We can't nobody identify with. The Jesus that I used to see on the church walls, he couldn't hung out with me one night. One night. <laughs> see, it sounds like I'm saying something I'm not saying. I'm not glorifying the mess. That's not what I'm doing. But what I'm saying is tough times call for tough people. And if you so sedity, that, that you can't handle a little roughness, you're not going to make it. Tough times call for tough people. So Elijah recognized the hour. He threw it. He said, boy, I want to see if you can catch. Why? Because often the most important things in life are not taught, they are caught. It's really important. It's very hard to work with people. They need two position papers on every minor decision. And a massage. Bishop, give me a half-hour massage and a pedicure. My nail's done. And then I want you to preach me happy. Come on. Then maybe I'll show up and screw in that screw. This is why the church is in the position it's in. You can't go anywhere with that mindset. Ministry is tough. Life is tough. And we got to toughen up to deal and face with our hour. All right. And he threw. They walk up, place it. Hey, my name it. None of that. Threw the mantle. But many of us would be so upset with how it was done, we'd miss the opportunity. I know we're going to get patty cake for the rest of the service. A smooth sea will not create a skillful sailor. It takes rough water. To learn how to lead in a storm when the men want to revolt. It takes a storm where you learn to settle your stomach and climb that mass in the midst of the wind and the shake. And it, you, you can't learn certain things. That's what we see. So Elijah showed up and knew what it took. So he threw it at him and said, will he catch or criticize? That was the question. And he threw his mantle on him. Charles Ellicott, 
writer of the renowned Ellicott's commentary says, Elijah did this. Now, we understand now that that mantle is a prophetic mantle. It represents, you know, the prophetic office and all that. But back then, no one understood that because this had never been done yet. So based on the understanding of the time, we got to look at this passage, not as reading into our understanding of what happened. But what he says is that placing or putting your garment on another person was what was used or done in an adoption ceremony in the ancient world. So now you understand what, what's happening. Elisha's saying, if you're going to be my son, you're going to have to toughen up. You see, Elijah was not, did you, no, no, you didn't hear me. You didn't hear me. Jesus didn't die walking through the tulips. He died on a rugged cross. And he said, if you're going to follow me, you need to take up your cross and do the same. Elijah here was not just taking Elisha under his wing. He was also bringing him into his family. The Bible says every father disciplines his child. It says elsewhere we're to endure hardship as discipline. It says another place endure Hardness as a soldier of Jesus Christ. The day we're in calls for some soldiering. But instead, we're doing motivational mamby pamby. And we wonder why our world's not being won. You have been listening to the Live Big Podcast with Dr. Derek Greer. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com or follow Dr. Greer on social media.